Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161BJ113, Discussion of Movies, From the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair Number 221, July the 3rd, 1990. This evening we're going to lead off with a discussion of movies. And I'm going to ask Otto Scott to introduce the subject. Well, thank you, Rush. Movies at one time were the great American escape. I recall when something like 60 million people a week went to the movies. And the movies in those days ran, at least in metropolitan cities that I knew, around the clock. Uh, you could go in in the middle of the feature and you'd stay and see the end, and then of course you'd see the next feature, and then you'd see the beginning of the feature that you walked in on, and you didn't think anything of it. Uh, also, they had newsreels and comedies, and it was a recognizable world that the movies were projecting. They were fantasies, they were romances, they were mysteries, they were gangster films and so forth, but there were blue-collared people in them as well as people with money. Uh, they showed... It was an American society that was much caricatured but nevertheless recognizable like a real caricature. Now movies are something entirely different. They reflect an enormous amount of sadism and they reflect a distaste for the American people in the way that they portray us as grotesques or as monsters or as people who behave in strange and bizarre ways. I find them very difficult to relate to the world that I know and the people that I belong to. And I think that as a subject, as a subject of analysis, the movies have been neglected by the sort of people who one would expect to look into them. The intellectuals accept the movies as something given, not as something created. And I think... Uh, it would be interesting to go into what they are doing to us. Yes, you mentioned that uh, back in the 30s, 60 million people a week attended movies. We can uh, add to that the fact that there were only 150 million people in the United States at that time. At present, what is it, 225 million? 250. 250. And as of a few years ago, the attendance weekly was down to 15 million and has been dropping ever since. I don't know what it is now. We read a great deal about how much movies are now making. Of course, this is in inflated dollars. What we're not told is that as against 
any number of uh, new films produced every week in those days, you now have a handful uh, produced in the course of a year. So the amount of money, first the money is inflated, and second, those who do go are uh, given fewer choices. Well, we remember talking to John Quaid mm -hmm. about movie budgets. Yes. And I said, why does it take at least $10 million to make a feature film? And he said, well, you can't, you have to have enough so that the people who make the film can steal a million or more in the course of making the film because they never know if the film is really going to make any money once it's distributed mm -hmm. because of the studio accounting methods are so crooked that those who make the film actually have to collect their money from the advance money. Now that's very similar to a writer. I know from personal experience and from my other friends in the business that most writers only get the advance. They never see the royalties. And recently, writers, for instance, have the Authors Guild, Authors League, I belong to it, and I never know what the name is. Mm -hmm. uh, they've taken a leaf from the English. They've written the name of a book, the author and the publisher, on a slip of paper, and they've dumped whole slips of paper into some hats. And then they have somebody pull out one of these slips, maybe two or three slips, and the league will pay the legal expenses of sending an accountant in to check the royalty statements of those books. And so far, in both England and the United States, they have yet to find an honest one. Well, the accounting in the movie business is even worse. Mm -hmm. Those who have a, a net percentage in the profits, and the net profits find that somehow or another, none of the movies make any money, yeah. no matter what the newspapers say. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of dishonesty, of course, reveals itself at every stage of the process. And... Uh, one of the things that I've been told by someone in the business that has uh, been particularly disastrous is that the point of economy in television and in films is with the writers. <laughs> yes, I'm not surprised. So that you get very few good scripts and the television scripts, which have to be produced very quickly, and the writer is paid very little, he goes through in a hurry. And as a result, they are of very poor quality. So the writer is the person who is sacrificed in the process. Well, the writer is an independent agent. He uh, is up against a collective group. And... There is a sort of a myth throughout the United States that anybody can be a writer and that anybody is. <laughs> now, it's true that writing like speaking is a almost a natural ability, but it would be like saying that because we are equipped by God to float in the water that we're all swimmers. That's not exactly so. You have to learn how to swim 
And you can only do that by swimming more and more and more and more. So writing really takes quite a while to develop into an occupational skill. On the other hand, what you say about the writers and their treatment, I've heard and read various quarters. Uh, I saw a movie, I saw two movies recently, which puts me ahead of you, I think. And uh, one of them was uh, Dick Tracy, which my daughter took me as a Father's Day present. And... (laughs) And... and, uh, and the other was Total Recall, which I saw down in San Diego with John Upton. We had some time on our hands. Well, the Total Recall movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and of course his muscles rippled as usual. There was lots of physical action. I noticed that it was based on a short story by one writer and that there were seven other writers in the credits. So seven writers put the script together, together with uh, using as a basis a short story. And I won't bore you with the plot because it is hard to describe in uh, ordinary language. There were some very raunchy areas in the movie, which is now, I think, almost de rigueur. And toward the end, the colony on Mars, which was having to pay for its air from the villain, who was, of course, a wasp, the colony, they found a complicated machinery inside the planet which could produce livable air for humans, although why Martians should have done that, I don't know. And... In the end, all of this was disclosed by a demon-like figure, a figure of an infantile-looking man who came out of the belly of another person, something like a baby kangaroo, like Roo coming out of Tanga in, in Pooh Winnie the Pooh, who gave directions which in the end saved the humans from a terrible fate. And John Upton, who you know is in the movie business, said, well, this is the latest genre. He said the aliens are always the saviors, non-humans, because humans are so stupid and so limited that they can never figure their own way out of any dilemma. And the the total recall, in the end, there was a transfiguration scene, practically, where the sun shone and bluebirds began to burgle, and uh, John and I left at that point. It was obvious that salvation had arrived via the demonic aliens. Mm -hmm. Well, that brings up an interesting point. We discussed writers, and we discussed now this sort of thing. One of the problems, both in films and in television, is that all the emphasis now is on action, uh, exciting action. As a result, character development is out of the picture. And none of the people are 
characters who have a three-dimensional aspect to them. Now, this matter, which you referred to of a number of writers on one uh, script, one of the things that has killed some television series that were very promising and uh, potentially good has been precisely the fact that they have a stable of writers, one team for this one, another for another, to come up with fresh ideas. But the ideas are situations. And the result is the series does not uh, gel the characters on which the story should have rested are not there. And uh, perhaps only one uh, series has had a genuine uh, stress on character, although a superficial one, the Bill Cosby uh, show. Uh, the characters are identifiable. You don't find that each time they're so dramatically different that you don't recognize them. Well, of course... The Cosby Show has been described to me as uh, a white show in blackface. <laughs> yes. And as you describe it, I've never seen it, as you describe it, the characters are stereotyped because they don't change from episode to episode. Mm -hmm. You know what you're going to expect from them. And to uh, almost all of the uh, TV shows that I've looked at seem to fall into that category. Yes. That the police drama and so forth, you have the sergeant is always a sergeant and the mm -hmm. detective is this way and so forth and so on. This is a sort of fictional shorthand. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't see the ordinary movies from Britain, we see the extraordinary, so therefore we see better movies from Britain than the British themselves probably see. Uh, but the one thing that makes them stand out is that they stick to the script of the writer. One writer. Mm -hmm. Recently there was a series called The Charmer. I don't know if you saw it no. or not. Well, it was a, an experience, a theatrical experience to see. The Charmer was a young man who was charming. He charmed a number of women and swindled them and was pursued by the thwarted courtier or, or suitor of one of these women who was a middle-aged man. In the end, after he'd gotten himself into a series of difficulties, he murdered one of his victims, and he was caught. And you knew as the series went on, I think it was six parts, and it was taken from a novel written by a writer who had not been a great success in the 30s, but who apparently had, whose books had uh, attained a certain respectability. And you saw him getting a little bit worse and a little bit worse, and you began to hold your breath because you knew he was going to go too far, and he did. And he was arrested, he was put on trial, he was sentenced to death, and you saw him being led to the execution. The last shot was the noose or the bag being put over mm -hmm. his head. Now, the effect was 
remarkable because first of all he was he was a villain but he was a human sort villain because he was charming and you knew he was going to go too far and you saw the punishment yes now this was very important Hollywood does not let you see the punishment Hollywood there would have been a chase and he would have been shot or he would have gone over a cliff or he would have fallen out a window but you would not have seen any punishment whatever that raises an interesting point one of the greatest of all novels was Tolstoy's Anna Karenina now Tolstoy was not a Christian but all the same he had a biblical text with which he began Anna Karenina and his whole point was to show what the wages of sin are that even the finest most likable most lovable person even if they are in a situation that is unfair or unjust if they pursue a certain course certain consequences are going to follow now that perspective is gone today well we have another perspective uh, the <clears throat> Hollywood of course is not Christian and is not making Christian movies and furthermore has reached the point where it is making anti-Christian movies now by doing that of course it has moved into a different area altogether uh, it is uh, flouting the majority of the people because the majority of the people in the United States are Christian and the majority of the people have rights and the rights of the majority of the people should not be flouted because it inevitably leads to certain disastrous consequences the on the whole question though of uh, punishment which is one I opened up the audience expects to see evil punished it expects to see evil lose if it's cheated of that expectation it's cheated of what the Greeks call catharsis on the other hand since we're all fallen people in a fallen world we have to offer some sort of hope to those who repent and those who change their lives so that if we can't end all drama with the punishment we have to at some time along the line see reformation and we have to see a new life and we have to see the results of a new and better life this is totally absent from the drama that we receive mm -hmm. well the whole situation is a, a very bad one and it is not improving the demonic now is the major stress in films a few years ago in talking with someone who does some film writing I expressed uh, more than a little irritation at the kind of plots we were seeing on films and on television and I said uh, by way of conclusion one would think given the stupidity of the plots that the writers are hotheads and he looked at me and he said you're joking but I'm not when I say there's a lot more truth 
than poetry to your statement. I think that's true. I think that's true. And if you recall that book that was written about uh, Freud and the use of opium. Yes. You recall that? Yes. Where the physician author, an author who was a medical physician, said that Freud's writings revealed mm -hmm. the uh, imaginative effects of drugs on an individual. Yes. I think we do see that in the films today. Yes, and it's infecting our entire culture. Well, it's like having poison, uh, IV, poison dripped into the veins of the people. Uh, one of the things that really surprised me some months back, or maybe a year or more ago, I went to a movie in San Diego with some other men, again killing time and going along with the crowd, and the movie was based on Haiti, and apparently upon what they claimed was a true story. Some physician went down to get a drug, I think a muscle relaxant or something like that, mm -hmm. which they used to create zombies. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, from the Harvard Medical School. The research on it yeah. and articles on it. They're, they're, well, they made a movie. But of course the movie was the most lurid thing you've ever seen. Uh, all kinds of torture and uh, zombies rising out of the grave and all this. What got me, really, was the audience. At the most grisly moments, the audience broke into laughter. Now, years ago, there was a very famous cartoon in The New Yorker, you may have seen it, by Charles Adams, who was always cartooning eerie-looking people. It showed a whole audience weeping, and in the middle, one individual with a great smile. Yes, I remember, remember that. that. Now, yes. it's as though the whole audience is smiling. They're laughing at inappropriate moments. Well, the best thing you can say about that is that the audiences are growing smaller. A few years back, I read that they were... Uh, primarily limited uh, to blacks and students, that theaters near, say, a university campus were very well attended, and theaters in a ghetto area. Teenagers. Yes. People in their early 20s. Yes. With a sprinkling of oldsters. Mm -hmm. But what are they getting? Now, I read an article in the London Times that I've never forgotten. It was at the end of World War II. And the writer, and I'm very sorry, always have been, that I didn't keep it, didn't clip it out. He talked about violence in films, beginning with the early German films of the early, or early 20s. And incidentally, some of the directors of those films were also directors in Hollywood, like Billy Wilder and others. He said you would open up a film with somebody walking down a tree-lined street, uh, everything looking very serene, and then suddenly some violence would erupt. Mm -hmm. The introduction of violence into otherwise civilized situations became an ongoing motif in the German films. 
And he said, by that manner, step by step, without perhaps realizing what they were doing, the filmmakers accustomed the German people to the idea that violence was a part of normal life. Mm -hmm. And when he said eventually the violence boomeranged on the filmmakers, they were horrified. Yes, uh, no one has written uh, very uh, extensively on the relationship between the film world and the art world and the rise of the Nazis. Another book could be written, by the way, on the relationship of the universities and the sciences to the rise of Hitler. It was the leaders in the culture that helped make him successful. Well, his largest audiences were school teachers. Mm -hmm. But the, the whole question of the films, now I expect to see, unless there is a great change in the trend, I expect to see explicit sex on ordinary television and in ordinary movies in the United States within, say, the next five years. Mm -hmm. One of the, uh, this is one of the directions in which they're going. Mm -hmm. First, they broke down the barriers of language, and you hear expletives and obscenities on screen that no society, no social group in this country indulges in, as far as I know. I mean, perhaps people in the inner cities, I can't say. But... I've, I've been, as you know, uh, a seaman, and uh, I've been in the advertising business on Madison Avenue, and I've been in publishing in various and sundry other places, up and down the ladder. After all, I began to earn my own living in 1934, and I never knew anybody that used the language that they use in the movies. Yes, that's uh, thoroughly the case. Yes. Well, I think this same degeneracy is taking place in one culture after another. I read uh, something by a missionary, today in fact, uh, a man who's been in Japan since before World War II. And of course what Japan has seen is the same kind of thing on television uh, far more than we see because their television has become much more raw and also on their films. And an authoritarianism is arising and some Japanese are getting into trouble because they will not have their children take part in the Shinto exercises. And this fall, I believe November 14, the young emperor will be formally installed. And the ceremony to which there will be distinguished uh, people of the diplomatic corps and heads of state from all over the world attending is in the English uh, guide called A Service of Thanksgiving. But in the Japanese, it is described as the 
putting on of deity by the emperor. So it's a very definite return to the old order that is underway there. And I think there are evidences of the same thing in the world order. We're going to the worst of the past because the moral foundations are being destroyed. Well, it's very interesting. There's, of course, a revival here, which has been going on for a number of years. The press has not noticed it because nobody has given them a press release on it. But uh, the very fact that so many millions of people have stopped going to the movies is one indication of that. On the other hand, you have the uh, tape stores, whatever they call them, and I don't use them because they're mostly trash. Uh, there's an enormous section in all of them on the occult. Yes. Now, to believe in the devil while denying God may seem inconsistent to the point of stupidity, but nevertheless, they promote pagan, what amounts to pagan deities, what amounts to a return to the days of old Rome and old Greece, mm -hmm. when demons were worshipped. Uh, I remember there was a excavation in one part of Rome, Italy, about 15 or so years ago, in which they found a Jewish quarter, a Jewish community. And the Jewish diaspora was very upset because what they found were amulets, love potions, uh, horoscopes, dice, and all the other things which, of course, all the people in Rome were steeped in at that particular period. And if we look at our newspaper horoscopes and so forth, uh, let's not talk about Nancy Reagan, <laughs> uh, we're not very far away. But the films are giving us the dark side of human nature in all its vices. Envy, gluttony, lust, all the cardinal sins, all the deadly sins are being portrayed in the movies in the most realistic possible manner without any indication that there's anything wrong with them. The only time that they say there's something wrong is when they, there's an actual murder or something on a very primitive level. But all the spiritual sins are portrayed as normal human behavior. Yes. We are confusing the natural with the normal, the right. And that's basic in our society today. And we have people who insist that things are right because they are natural. I have read arguments in favor of incest, homosexuality, and a number of other things, some of which I won't repeat here, acts which are now called normal because they occur in nature. You mentioned the fact that uh, filmmakers seem to believe in the devil, but not in God. 
That's a very important point because it was predicted by the editor of the New Republic in the late twenties, Kenneth Burke, a very, very uh, perceptive thinker, although wrong-headed on a great many political and social issues. And Kenneth Burke predicted that before the century was over, there would be the rise of occultism, Satanism, demonism, and more, because he said, man needs grace. He needs power. If he will not seek it from above, he will seek it from below. So, he said, because man is now denying that grace and power are obtainable from above, from God, men will seek it from below in Satan. One of the most perceptive statements made at a time when everyone believed that that sort of thing was forever dead. Well, that's very interesting. Yes. Then uh, there's another thing here. One of the most influential thinkers of this century a man who gave the Gifford lectures in England after World War II, or no, shortly before World War II, Reinhold Niebuhr. Now for Niebuhr, everything in the way of the acts of God was metaphorical. Uh, for him, a belief in the resurrection was a necessity, but we could not take it literally. It was a paradigm for the nature of things. Mm -hmm. But Niebuhr uh, was by some called a Calvinist, although he was a Lutheran, because of his belief in man's depravity. But his view of depravity, of man's sin, was not theological, not religious. It was sociological. And that's why his answer was sociological. It was through the state, not through God's grace, that you were going to deal with the depravity of man. And that type of thinking has led us to the place where reality is darkness. It's Satan. It's the demonic, it's evil, and anything else is unreal. I have again and again seen prominent actors or actresses uh, celebrate and uh, give a happy interview when they get a role that, uh, wherein they play some ugly character because they say, this part is real, I can sink my teeth in it. Well, it's easier to portray sin than virtue. Especially if you lack virtue. <laughs> well, virtue is only expresses itself obliquely. Mm -hmm. And sin expresses itself directly. So from a dramatic point of view, it's much simpler to write sin. But we have... In creating the film, creating the movies, 
managed to do psychologically what the Roman games did physically. The portrayals of murders and other sins are so clever and so close to the reality that people today can see the real thing without any more emotion than they would feel in watching a film. Mm -hmm. Because the psychological impact, somebody said that the average child sees 20,000 murders on film before he grows up. And it's exactly what Augustine talked about in the Roman games. Yes. That uh, you f they finally get satiated. The games began as athletic contests. In the end, the audience demanded death, real death. Mm -hmm. And then finally, people eaten by lions and all the rest of it. The Roman stage reached the point of actual murders on the stage of the slaves who are playing the part. And there are no books now written on that. You mean people don't know that anymore? Yes. That's dropped out? Yes. Like the stoning of the sophists. Mm -hmm. We can't find any books about when the sophists were stoned. Mm -hmm. We know that they were stoned because that keeps cropping up, that the Greeks in the end killed the people who killed their religion. All we get is... Uh a rosy-colored mythology of life in Greece. Well... And Rome, but especially Greece. Well, we're getting just the opposite of life in the United States. We, small-town America, is inhabited by fascists, mm -hmm. by people who discriminate against everyone. The In England, for instance, they're getting the same thing. And in the latest edition of the Salisbury Review, there's a full-page ad for a group that wants to protect majority rights in England. It wants to stop the steady denigration of English history that's being taught in the schools and the scandalous way in which the white English people are portrayed in their own schools. Now, of course, we could say the same thing here in the United States. Apparently, this country has never done anything but brutalize Indians, uh, reject blacks. Uh, it has never helped anybody. It's never put together an orphanage. It's never had any charities. It's never emancipated anyone. It never fought a civil war. Hundreds of thousands of white people got murdered in order to help the black race. That never happened. I am now reading a remarkable book uh, published by the Oxford University Press on uh, Joseph Davis, the elder brother of Jefferson Davis. Oh, a very remarkable man. He uh, decided that uh, the slaves were human beings with the aptitudes of all people. And therefore, he was going to give them an opportunity to develop it. And uh, overseers did not like working for the Davises because if they abused the slaves, there was a jury trial. Any offense committed by a slave or an overseer, there was a jury trial with an all-black 
slave jury. And Joseph Davis was the judge, and about all he ever did was, in some instances, to mitigate the sentence a bit. But the jury convicted and sentenced or acquitted. And they provided excellent justice. If anything, they were harder than the masters would have been. He also encouraged them to develop their abilities, and one of them set up a store there, and the riverboats would stop there, the Mississippi River, and a trade there. He would run accounts for plantation women, uh, sometimes carrying them for as much as 2000 in credit, which in those days was a vast amount. An exceptionally able businessman. And uh, he did not believe in slavery, but he felt, given the conditions, this is the best way to help these people in terms of the future. Of course, all those slaves went downhill dramatically, uh, for, with a few exceptions, under the uh, rather brutal care at times of the Union forces, who pillaged and did everything uh, to be destructive. Now, uh, granted, this was an unusual experiment in Mississippi. I believe there was one other, and I knew about uh, 45 years ago or so of one like experiment in Louisiana, uh, in that case operated by an Armenian slave owner. But there were examples of that sort of thing. Well, there was, of course. The uh there's a movie out not too long ago, I haven't seen it, called Glory, about the Massachusetts Black Regiment, which I believe, I didn't see the movie, was headed by uh, Wentworth Higginson, one of the yes. Secret Six. But there's never going to be a movie about the black Confederate troops. No. And yet there were black Confederate troops. Mm -hmm. And they fought in the Civil War against the Union forces. Yes. And for that matter, we see all this business of the Wild West with rapes, and there were no rapes no. in our West. Our history has been trashed. It's been dirtied up systematically. Now, it's very difficult to say, in all honesty, that the people who made these films did not know what they were doing, that the, the greatest excuse, of course, is customary, is that they're giving the people what they want. Now, this is like saying that you and I have decided that that's what we want. Neither of us do. The audience has nothing to do with what is presented before it. It's the great cop-out. If the audience really is getting what it wants, why has it vanished? Yes. Why has it diminished? Um, there was some few years ago an excellent uh, critique written by an historian of the Gary Cooper movie High Noon. Mm -hmm. In that picture, these four 
criminals are going to come back to this frontier town and kill and scare everybody yes they're going to kill Gary Cooper who was the sheriff that sent them up and so on and nobody wants to uh, stand with him and he said that goes contrary to all the frontier history every man would have been there to eliminate those four men if they ever dared set foot in town well they would have been strung up yes in fact that's what happened to desperados they were strung up yes that's why the wild west towns like dodge city and tombstone only lasted a few months to a year at most in their wildness because the women, the businessmen, the Christians cleaned up the community. Well, this is true, of course, when the Puritans came across the ocean. They set up a compact before they landed. They established a constitutional government from the word go. They were civilized men from a civilization, and they behaved as such. And the people who moved west did not move west from any disorderly scene. They left from very orderly, self-governing communities, and they recreated those communities when they moved. Now, to persistently overlook this, to persistently do this to any culture, means that you hate that culture. You are trying to destroy its memory. Before the time of the War of Independence, those who moved westward did not simply go west. They organized a company with rules and regulations. They made sure that they had at least one carpenter, at least one blacksmith, and they made sure they had a variety of skills so that the community could work, function together, help one another, exchange skills, and create a viable community in a short time. Well, then, what can we say? Why is it that our psychiatrists and our sociologists and our historians and our medical therapists and our clergy have never really as a group or class or professions looked at what the theater is doing in the United States. Mm -hmm. What sort of license have these people attained that keeps them from being analyzed while every other group in this country is loaded with odium well, they would be loaded with odium if they attacked them or analyzed them, and that's why they steer clear. Well, that's they will not touch them. That's cowardly. Of course, of course. That's very popular these days. <laughs> well, I think it'd be appropriate at this time to uh, talk about someone who's doing something, Ted Bear, whom we both know. And Ted Bear has been here with us. Ted Bear puts out a movie guide. That's the title. And the subtitle is A Biblical Guide to Movies and Entertainment. 
to commend those who do right, 1 Peter 2.14, and to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness, Ephesians 5.11. And what Ted does in this is to review every time uh, the new releases, whether on uh, video or in the theaters. And these reviews are very careful analyses, and he uh, will tell you whether the movie is fit to see uh, or tell you what's wrong with it, and in various ways give you an excellent guide for the family. And uh, I think it's uh, something that uh, families should have because it's a good guide for family entertainment. Uh, I'd like to suggest those who are interested that they uh, subscribe. It's $29.95 a year. Good News Communications, Incorporated, P.O. Box 9952, Atlanta, Georgia, 30319. Now, Ted is a person who's doing something about this. Moreover, Ted Bear is well qualified. He has produced in the past a number of very fine uh, feature-length films, documentary and otherwise, for PBS. Uh, it tells you what's happened, that now he cannot get the funding very readily to do this sort of thing that he once did uh, frequently. But people like Ted Bear need to be supported, we need to uh, see that uh, works like his are financed so that he can be back in, in the production end of things as well. So all is not darkness. There are people who are concerned. Now, I heard Ted Bear speak recently when I was at Atlanta, the Reconstruction Conference there put on by the Chalcedon Presbyterian Church in Dunwoody. And uh, I was one of the speakers as well. But Ted spoke on what had happened in the films, how bad they had become in the 20s until there was a national outcry. And then the Catholic Legion of Decency was formed. Then various Protestant film groups were formed. And so you had films, uh, before they were produced, being submitted in script form to these various groups. Catholic group, National Council group, uh, Southern Baptist group, and so on. And the result was entertainment that was family-oriented. Well, the coalition fell apart 
when one uh, Protestant made a very stupid remark about the Catholics, which got to the Catholics, total distrust it was, and the Catholics and Protestants then rather drifted apart and did not work together as they had. And then in the 60s, the Catholics with Vatican II and other problems with all the upheavals in the church dropped out, and the Protestants dropped out. And with that, Hollywood immediately headed for the gutter. Now, there is no reason why we cannot restore some kind of uh, common sense the scene and men like Ted Bear are very very much concerned with doing this he also produces by the way uh, audio tapes uh, he has one on civil wrongs about uh, what uh, civil protesters sodomites and others are doing environmental paganism is another video that he has produced to uh, in fact on that subject so I strongly recommend uh, Ted Bear and his work it's interesting that you bring up the uh, Legion of Decency in those groups of a earlier generation Right now, I understand that uh, all scripts that involve homosexuals have to be submitted to the homosexual groups for their approval. Yes. And scripts that involve other minority groups, if we can call them that, I guess we can, are also submitted to them for clearing. Yes. But uh, the Christian groups no longer need... Uh, no longer have enough influence for such efforts of clearance to be made. If they say anything, it's called censorship. But all these groups, homosexual and otherwise, are uh, the consultants, and in fact one of the most powerful consultants today, Ted Barris pointed out, is Anton LaVey. The Satanist? The Satanist. Satanist Pope. Yes, and you will see if you watch his name on credits uh, as a consultant. So whether it's on TV or in the films, his name appears very often. Interesting. Yes. But Christians have surrendered, and now they complain about what's happened, so it's time to do something. And men like Ted Bear, who are doing something, need to be supported. Well, Wildman is doing good work in this area, is he not? Yes. Yes, he is. And he's made himself felt. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, he is doing something, but I feel that Ted Bear's is a positive approach. Because he wants not only to stop this sort of thing, but to help produce good films. Well, that, of course, leaves open another subject, which we'll get into later. 
about the lack of Christian support yes. for the arts. I think that's a very, very important question, and I do believe this is an area where there has to be a great deal of work done in the future. We could just, you don't really have to uh, be a scriptwriter or even very interested in films. I've always stayed away from the theater and from theatrical writing because it's a form of group activity. The director gets in the act, the actors get in the act, everybody gets in the act, and I'm not the sort of writer that really enjoys getting involved with a whole group who want to go over the dialogue and the narrative and everything else. But it really doesn't take any enormous amount of ability to see that there are all kinds of subjects which could be covered in film in the United States that would be very helpful. The uh, the whole business scene, mm -hmm. the whole business scene, the whole business of working for a living seems to have dropped out of attention. Yes. Uh, the blue collar has totally dropped out. So has the middle collar. All we have now is villainous uh, chairmen of the board and uh, caricatures of big business tycoons that are hiring murderers. All that nonsense. But. The argument between the liberals and the business community contains all sorts of inherent drama. The uh, argument between the university trained and the parents who send them to school and then suddenly have a stranger return. Mm -hmm. uh, the, for that matter, the interreligious and interracial collisions need to be discussed and need to be addressed in a dramatic way which could do a lot not to exacerbate but to alleviate the problems that we have as a society. Uh, an art, a theater that doesn't reflect the realities of the society that supports it is failing in its duty. Yes. Well, consider what could be done, Otto, if we and many other groups similarly could uh, budget 25000 a year to give to someone like Ted Bear for production. Well, 25000 to have an art uh, exhibit and give prizes to outstanding Christian works of art. This is the kind of thing that needs to be done and is not being done. Well, John Upton and I have started a series of films mm -hmm. on the great Christian revolution. Yes. Uh, but the same thought yes. that we're dealing with an audience that no longer knows its own history mm -hmm. and needs to learn it yes well our time is almost gone are there a few last comments you'd like to make well I just <laughs> I, I did write something which will appear in print sometime later on which I said regarding the Dick Tracy movie that no adult should be caught going in to see it. <laughs> <laughs> they did a marvelous job on the makeup of the characters. And I remember the, the strip when I was a boy. They had prune face and they had flat top and they had all the others and they really looked like uh, Ghoul drew them. 
but the trouble is they didn't do anything. There was, <laughs> there was nothing but explosions, people falling out of windows and all that sort of nonsense. <laughs> well, I uh, was on a flight, the one last year from London, and they showed Batman. And all I can say for it was that it did put me to sleep within five to ten minutes. So I was grateful for a long nap. You missed the very evil section where the uh, clown, the murderous clown, went into a museum and slashed all the paintings. Oh, my. I'm glad I slept. I'm glad I slept. Well, our time is up. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library digitized by Christ Rules dot com